Welcome to The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. Hello and welcome to The Family Bridges, The Struggle is Real Relationship Talk special series brought to you all the way from Denver, Colorado because we're at the 2017 NARMI Summit. I'm Veronica Avila. And on this side, I am Omar Ramos. With us, as always, our resident expert, Dr. Alicia Laos, clinical psychologist, CEO of Family Bridges and author of The Struggle is Real. Dr. Alicia, hello. Hello, good to be here again. Thanks for joining us once again. Denver has been great to us. So today's topic is unpacking the unmentionables, the sex, drugs, and pornography talk. Of course, tough talk, but we have to do it. To help us learn more, we've invited Richard Albertson, founding president and CEO of Live the Life, a faith based on nonprofit organization dedicated to strengthening marriages and families in Jacksonville, Saratoga, Bradenton, and Fort Lauderdale. Richard is also a co-founder and board treasurer for the National Association for Relationship and Marriage Education, better known as NARMI. He is also part of the Florida Faith-Based and Community-Based Advisory Council. In the past, he has served on the Florida Commission on Responsible Fatherhood was a board member for the National Abstinence Education Association and served as chairman for the Florida Commission on Marriage and Family Support. Wow, Richard, you must be busy. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Omar. It's good to be with you guys. Thank you for being with us. As an icebreaker, I'd like to ask each of you mm. if you remember having the talk about these very important topics. And how was that experience for you? Well, uh, I remember we had it one time, and my mom said, if you ever get involved with pornography in any way you're going, uh, El Cucuy is going to come and get you, and God is going to punish you. And that was it, and we never talked about it again with my parents. Of course, later uh, we had some uh, psychologists that went to our school when I was like in seventh grade, and they talked about it, but never had a conversation. It was like a taboo. It was like, it was like prohibited. And, mm-hmm. and this coming from a strong religious family, I would have thought that maybe they would kind of break down the details, but then at the same time, my parents didn't receive the education that I'm assuming they would have because mm-hmm. they came from a re- remote area in Mexico. But yeah, it was it was a prohibited thing. And, you know, my mom just, I, I remember this vaguely because, I mean, she mentioned it one time that if I ever, ever, ever brought up the drug, sex, or pornography thing, it was, it was pretty much, I was setting myself up to end up in hell, in other words. So <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it went down like that for me. Wow. Alicia? I grew up with six girls in the sense I have five sisters and mm-hmm. then my mom and different cousins. We did have a lot of conversations, not like one conversation, the talk. It was more so-and-so is dating so-and-so and I'd sneak in and squish myself between conversations I wasn't supposed to and mm-hmm. I picked up on that and, the, you know, that kind of thing. And then my, my mom did specifically talk to me about boundaries, you mm-hmm. know just sexual boundaries and what that was she did have that conversation but it wasn't shaming and, and it was more like again it was just a lot of sisters a lot of girls so the the conversation kept happening well that's that's the good thing about having siblings yeah. uh, that you can talk about it but your parents were always guiding you about it yeah and i don't ever remember my dad talking about that he was more respectful here's my dad but i just remember my the sisters talking about the boyfriends and and just be being in the middle and then the conversations happening around that like that more 
I will say one one of my sisters did do a Bible study at our local church about like sexuality, mm-hmm. and that was pretty interesting. So. Oh yeah, I got nothing when I, uh, about a month before I got married. I was 27 years old, and my mom kept pushing my dad. You've got to talk to him. So he finally talked to me and basically went like this: "Son, do you have any questions about how this works?" And I said, "No, Dad, I don't have any questions. I think I got it." And he said, "That was it. So that was <laughs> that was the extent of my entire training from painless, dad. painless." <laughs> I'm still waiting for the talk. I never got the talk. (laughs) No, I just like you. It was later on. No, we just don't talk about it. Um, And then when we went to school and we were going to get the sex ed, of course, I was pulled out of those classes because how they are. I go to that class. So I didn't get the education in school or at home. I was lost, I guess. I think that's common, though. I think that's very common. Most people yeah. don't get this talk. Mm-hmm. And, and if we grow up in a faith institution, very often the message we get is sex is dirty, evil, yeah. sinful, mm-hmm. awful, yeah. and you need to save it for the one you love. Right. How does that work? That doesn't make any sense. Exactly. But that's the message sometimes we send to our kids. Unfortunately. Well, why don't we start with our first skit? It's called Sex Ed in a Flash. Maybe I'll learn something now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Ooh. Mom, can we get some of these mint birthday cake Oreos? Ooh, put them in the cart. Mom? So, Sally. Mom, why are we stopping in the condom section? Well, they sent home that letter about how you're starting sex ed. I feel like we need to start talking about sexual health. Ew, gross. I'm going to the, uh... Cheese aisle. Hold your horses, little missy. Ugh, mom! My friends shop here! Well, maybe their moms will meet us here. I'll meet you at the Oreos. So, this is a condom. You've heard of these? Yes. It goes on the, um, male... uh, Right, so I'll leave it up to him. I did not raise my girl to not be able to handle things herself. As important as it is for men to have one on themselves, it doesn't hurt a girl to be prepared if need be. Got it. Girl Scout's motto, be prepared. Don't laugh this off. If you're old enough to be having sex, you should know it's a reality, not all fantasy. I know, Mom. I don't expect, like, unicorns to spring from the sky. Well, they might, but that's a whole different story. Ew, gross! Now, I'm buying you a small box, and I'm going to show you something at home. That's why we also stopped in the produce aisle before this. Huh? Oh my gosh, Mom! Hey, my mom never explained this stuff to me, and it made things very hard when they didn't have to be. This is not gross. This is life. We'll get your Oreos in a second, but first you need to know that if you're going to act like an adult, you're going to be an adult about this. Now, this is lubrication. Meet me in the Oreos. Okay, so that was that was a little awkward. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> we heard Mara trying to talk to her teenage daughter uh, about sex at the grocery store. Obviously, it just wasn't about sex i also picked up on having sex before marriage just in case a kid wants to go down that route very awkward obviously if you ask me personally this is a a very inappropriate place to talk to your kid about because you're doing it out in public open space i mean you're going to embarrass somebody that way right well i think as parents we need to we need to parent towards the goal Mm -hmm. and what's the goal you know a lot of a lot in a lot of our parenting if we sum it up it's the goal is to have 20 years from now have a clean room or to 
be good in football and we're not parenting towards the goal. We need to parent towards the goal. And so I think we have to agree on the goal. And for me, when I start talking to seventh and eighth grade middle school boys, I say, look, the goal here is we want you to have mind blowing, awesome, great sex that will rock your world. <laughs> that's our goal for you as your parents. And as people that believe in it, as the adults in your life, that's what our goal is for you. When you get married, we want to paint a picture for them of a beautiful vision, a, a compelling vision of what could be and point them towards that goal, parent towards that goal. That's what we want for you. Mm-hmm. That's the healthy thing. And this is great. And it's wonderful. And it's not dirty, sinful, evil, awful, rotten. It's great. And we want that for you. But, you know, not now means doesn't mean not ever. It just means we want you to wait until the right time. Mm-hmm. Now, in the skit, the mom was actually being very functional about the condom using that. And that's pretty controversial. Um, yeah. There's a lot of parents that would say, geez, you're really promoting that. And do you really want to promote that? Do you want to just delay that? We know so many of the consequences that are negative with risky behaviors for children when they're prematurely enter into sexual behaviors. And then there's other parents that like this one featured will say, no, you, if you're not teaching them this, then someone else is better that they learn it from you. What do you say? Well, I would say that it's one dimensional. Uh, when we teach it, we talk about Pisces. It's an acronym, Pisces. Mm-hmm. There's the physical part of the, the sex. There's an intellectual. There's an emotional. There's a social. There's a spiritual. And there's an economic impact. And then we go through each one of those things. What's the, what's the emotional impact of having sex with someone? It's pretty profound. I mean, what's the mental thing? It takes mm-hmm. over your mind when you're in middle school and high school. Nothing else matters. That's all your mind's thinking about. There's social consequences. There's so many consequences. And when we just talk about the one physical, you know, you kind of hold up your hand and do, do P-I-E-S-E-S, and then you put a balloon. You, you, if you put a condom over, if you're just talking about the physical part, you're missing out. You can't put a condom over your heart. Mm-hmm. You can't put a condom over your emotions. You can't put a condom over the, your brain. You're just talking about the physical aspect. That's not enough. We need to give them a holistic, a full picture, and unpack all of that. So I think we're shortchanging them when we only give them that. Mm-hmm. And so much of it is a function of our culture that has separated or divorced, if you will, the physical from love. It's almost as if they're two separate things when in reality we're talking about a They go combo together. Deal. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We also heard Maura mention that her mom had never explained to her. I think this can be the case of many uh, parents out there. So if I didn't get the information, I want to make sure that my daughter is well-informed. I'm even going to give her a demonstration, etc. And as you said, some people will misinterpret that as an encouragement to have sex. Then we have parents that unfortunately have... I don't know if it's lost faith in their in their kids' will and power of making wise choices that they've already assumed that the child will go ahead and have sex. So here, be prepared and go out there and do it. But as you said, it's more of a holistic approach. What can we say to parents that think that their kids are going to do it anyway? How can they gain, not control, but... Educate themselves so that they can educate their children. Well, yeah, that's why I think we need to take a more a broader view and, and go through. And I think a simple thing to help parents understand in, when they're teaching this is the sequence of success. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they really want to do, they want to do better than they did themselves. Mm-hmm. They want their kids to avoid the mistakes they made in middle school or high school. or And so they don't want their kids to do the same thing. So, But I think if we can help the parents and train the parents and the folks listening, this is success sequence, which we talked about just this morning, 97% uh, success success rate of, uh, for, for young people. And it's basically you get educated, get a job, get married, and then have children. The research is overwhelming. If you do those four things in that order, you are going to reduce poverty by 97%. Mm-hmm. But most people have never heard that. So that's a great way to start with parents. Parent towards the goal. Success sequence. Hey, kids, daughter, I want you to get a job. 
I want you to get your education. Then I want you to get married and then have children and then have sex. And if you do think, do you want to, do you want to be in poverty? Do you want to reduce your poverty chances by 97%? Follow this. Mm-hmm. If you don't follow that, your outcomes in life are dramatically different. And we don't want that to happen because we love you. We want you to be successful in life. We want you to have a great life and we want you to have great sex, but we want you to do things in the right order and the right sequence. That's not that hard to remember. It's not. It's yeah. not. It's not. It, it seems like nowadays we, we live within this uh, sexual revolution that just keeps on blowing up and getting bigger and bigger. And, and I'm going to ask you a sticky question and just uh, <laughs> try to answer it as well as you can. Um, you ready for this? Sure. At what age do you start talking to your kids about sex and how much information is appropriate? You know, I think for my kids, I have five kids and I love talking to my kids about sex. As a matter of fact, my kids are all open about it and they'll, they'll come talk to me and ask questions. I love that it's very different from the generation I grew up in. Because I didn't get it, I've made, a, I've made it intentional to tell my kids about it. And, and then they often bring their friends, their teenagers. They bring other people to t- come talk. So I talk about this a lot. So hmm. the, in answer to your question, I think a great rule of thumb for parents is this. If your kid asks you a question, hey, mom, what's oral sex? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> well, honey, well, honey, what do you think it is? Well, I think it's, I think it's just when you're touching a man's private parts. Yeah, it involves that. In other words, you only confirm what they know. You ask them, what do you think that word means? And then when the kid tells you, I think it means this. I mean, because my daughter, Rachel, when she was about 10 years old or eight years old, she said, Dad, I heard today at school that you and mom have sex. Is that true? Yes. And, and, I, and she said, well, what sex? I said, well, what do you think it is? Well, I think it's you and mom kissing each other. <laughs> you know, you and you kiss each other, and you kiss each other in your bedroom. And I said, "Yes, that's that's exactly right, honey. That's that's a that's a good definition Saved of what it is." In other words, I only went as far as what she knew. Got it. And I didn't add on with the graphic details. Let's go from point A to point Z. I didn't do that. I started with what she knew. So that's a great rule of thumb for parents. That's very interesting that you say that. I had a friend once that he was traumatized by his mom when he asked the question, "What's?" What's sex? Because one of his cousins was talking about sex. So he said, what, what, what's sex? He says, my mom gave me an explicit, horrible picture <laughs> that I still can't get out of my mind. There you go. So just, just go as far as they know. Yeah. Talk to them, about, depending on, on their level of, of, I guess, knowledge at that point. But don't go beyond. Don't go too graphic. Don't go beyond Because it. then you'll have... The and you and then, can and then, explain a little bit more so that yeah. they're not either, you know, but, but like you said. Without going mm-hmm. too far. And then a couple of years later, because she said, that means you and mom have had sex. And then a couple of years later, she said, you know, she gave a little more graphic detail. Yeah. And she said, actual intercourse. So you and mom have intercourse? And I said, yes, that's true. That's, that's what it is. And she says, and you've done it five times? Because we have five children. I'm like, yes, we've done it five <laughs> times. In other words, I didn't go further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now she knows we have it all the time, you know? And so, but it's just go as far as they are. And give them a little bit more, but don't get carried away with it. Don't go too far past that. If you could give parents three tips on how to talk to their kids about sex, what would those be? Well, that would be one of them, to give them, don't, to a- answer the question the way yeah. the kids are. Give them the sequence of success. That's easy to remember. And then paint a positive picture of this. Paint a beautiful picture of this. You want your kids to have a great sex life. You mm-hmm. want them to have uh, enjoyment in that. And you don't, there's so much twisted stuff about this. When Pornography and there's so much stuff. And, and I, I got to tell you, 
a big thing is the pornography thing. That's that's one of the that's I'd add fourth one. You've got to talk to your kids about pornography. This is an epidemic. It's an epidemic in middle school. It's an epidemic in marriages, and it's flipped from yeah. the. I've been doing this for twenty years, and I can tell you the pornography issue is coming to the forefront mm-hmm. of the issues we're dealing with in marriage. That's just ruining marriages and causing so much sexual dysfunction. Yeah. So we got to talk to our kids about that. Too. I just I just wanted to add that. Uh, yeah, one of my good friends. Is going through a divorce because of pornography. Yes. You know, he doesn't want to touch his wife anymore because his mind is somewhere else. It's you got a, it. It's in front of his computer now. Yeah. And, and I wanted to go back a little bit more further regarding how you talk to your kids about sex. I mean, do you ever throw in boundaries? Do you ever throw in consequences? Do you ever say, hey, you know, sex is great, but it's not for young people. It's not for a kid of your age. Do you ever yes. mention that as well? Well, of course, with the boundaries, yes. That's that's where the Pisces come in. You know, okay. what are the economic impacts of this? If you have sex with a girl, what's gonna what's the economic impact you think might happen? Could happen that? Oh well, she might get pregnant. Is there an economic impact to that? Oh, I might have to buy diapers. I gotta buy a baby formula. I gotta you know, what's the social consequences? So what are the boundaries around all of that? And unpack all of those different areas. You can spend an hours talking about those different boundaries for okay. each one of those areas yes absolutely. health consequences and consequences spiritual consequences in the faith community i mean there's all all of those are, are impacted those there's so much to this that to just have a conversation in the produce section of the uh, shopping that's you know she's think, trying but we got to help that lady I think the tone in yes. the tone that i picked up from from the skit was like i gotta get this over with mm-hmm. and just right. you know yeah go through the functionality of it and one takeaway is this is parents, you know, saying the word sex and having the conversation might be uncomfortable because you didn't grow up talking about it mm-hmm. and it's just awkward. Talk to your spouse about it so yes. you can get it, you know, out of your lips and it's practice. Com- practice. Right, to practice it with each other. So yeah. that then you're able to have the conversation more comfortable mm-hmm. and not as like, <laughs> I don't know, medical th- about it. Absolutely. Or awkward. Yeah. yeah. And Omar, I want to go back to what you said because yes, sir. I, I think, you know, when we talk about the boundaries of sequence, mm-hmm. one of the fascinating things in teaching this is we have an exercise where we do the, the physical steps to intimacy, starting with eye to eye and then hand to hand, shoulder to shoulder, you can go all the way down to intercourse, okay? And so what we do is we have people do, what do you, th- we have out these placards and we put them in sequence and everyone stands up and says, here's how I think the sequence should go. And then what we ask them as far as boundaries, say, now, well, where, um, where do you, where do you draw the line, middle school boy at eighth grade? Well, he's going to draw the line way down here. He wants to go a lot further. Of course. But then we say, well, someday when you have a 16 year old daughter, 15 year old daughter, where would you put the line for her? And then, of course, he goes all the way back over here. Yeah. Uh, he, they can hold hands. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why is it okay for your daughter that she's got, she can only hold hands, but for you, you're going to go all the way down to level six or seven, and all of a sudden they go, wow. So it's a great way to have a conversation with kids about the boundaries and how far should we go, and why is it different for you than it would be for your daughter someday? So it's great conversations you can have with your kids. Well, they say always have open and honest conversations uh, with your kids. If you don't have the information, go find out. Maybe it's a learning experience for both. I'm going to retract from that. Go find out yourself <laughs> and then uh, teach your kids. If you don't know something, then just let them know. You know, I don't know, but I'll find out and let's uh, and talk sure about it. And make sure you get it from a good source. A good source. Get yes. Some key information oh, out there. Yeah. But don't get it from Teen Vogue. But get it from again, <laughs> again, from the skit, the other thing that happened was she just went right in there, you know. 
and didn't do the six kissing, hold hands. I mean, there's there's conversation. She went all the way to the yeah. She went from A to Z, you know, like that. And like <laughs> snap seconds. of your fingers, way overwhelming. Too much information. TMI. You know, talk about kissing and mm. holding hands first, and, kind and of dating, it, and dating. Yeah. You know, take it sequential amen and just going back to what omar was asking as well take the opportunity to also share your values and your expectations for your children yeah because then it goes hand in hand and it won't be as awkward and that'll help them have a bigger picture of what that will look like for them oh most definitely uh veronica you did warn me this would be a roller coaster podcast for sure <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna it, it's been interesting so far no doubt about it um next scenario ladies and gents listen to this this is called the porn lesson. Oh boy, let's see. Oh boy, oh boy. Coming. Oh boy. <laughs> Mom was a cool if I grab Snickers. Of course. I'm gonna grab something extra too behind the counter, sir. Uh, uh yeah. What, what can I grab you? Can I grab that copy of Peaches? Oh uh, yeah, sure thing. Um, uh, Mom, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? That, that's a porno. A porno, huh? Kind of like what you watched on the DVR a few nights ago while me and your father were out? Uh, what? I don't know. Uh, Mom, wait a minute, we on. have the September back to school it's issue, just, but like then we also got boring. this October I mean, I was, I was costume issue. October's fine. All right. Mom, I'm sorry, I clicked on it by accident and then it was... Well, it clicked on our bill, so me and your father know all about College Girls 21. It was, it was a mistake and I, I just thought it was about studying and... Look... If you're gonna buy porn, is it cool if I open it here? You're gonna pay for it, right? Of course I'll pay for it. Uh, I mean, come on, look, lady, I'm, you can't show porn to your kids in the store. Look, he's my kid. Hey, I'll give you the peaches after we leave. Oh, no way. Really? For, like, for reals? Of course for reals. Oh, solid. See these women, Reggie. Uh, no. Look at them. I, Mom, I'm, I don't... Uh, Reggie, you love to read. I, I don't want to right now. Well, they're all paid to do this for you. But in the process, they're objectified and made into objects of desire, not people. Got it. Objects of desire. Can we, uh, can we go now? Sexuality is nothing to be ashamed of, but you can't expect women to do this for you. You can't expect women to be like this. I mean... Look at this girl. She never had any kids. Mom, that's not like... Uh, can, can we just, Are you can we going go? to think twice about this stuff from now on? Yes, of course. Next time you look at porn, are you going to remember this? Oh, God, yes. Okay. Well, then. We'll pay for our gas, and you can keep the magazine. <laughs> All right. Stand up, woman. Hey. What? Oh. No, I mean, like, hey, like, don't worry. Like, I heard everything you said. Like, women are different than objects. I respect That's women. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for your service. Okay, so we're back, and we're going to break this down. Um, I got a couple stats I want to share with you, Richard. Nine out of ten boys are exposed to pornography before the age of 18. On average, their first exposure to pornography is at 12 years old. For young ladies, girls, 6 out of 10 are exposed to pornography before 18 years of age. Now, moving forward, 71% of teens hide online behavior from their parents. 20% of 16 to 17-year-olds have been unintentionally exposed to porn online. This according to Covenant Eyes, Internet Accountability and Filtering. Now, in the skit, we heard the same mom 
Mara, this time with her teenage son, Reggie. Her approach was very unconventional. Why do you think she gave him the lesson so extreme this time around? Well, Mara is trying her best. She is trying to t pick up a, a thorny issue and try to find a way to communicate with her son and talk about it. But my advice to Mara is let a man talk to her son about it. I, I have found it to be emasculating when a woman talks to a young boy about this. It, the guys, they hate it. It's like the, the worst thing in the world. Um, so I don't have any trouble talking to teenage boys about it because I'm a guy. If, if it's a single mom, find an, an uncle, a grandparent, a, a mentor, a, a teacher, a coach, somebody to talk to the to sons about this because they need to hear about this from a man. I think, because it emasculates the young men, and they're very embarrassed. They're humiliated when mom talks to them about this. So I kind of would tell Mara that's not a good idea. Or to I would it say if it is a mom speaking to it. See, here she's taking a very teaching um, tone instead of talking about the issue and what it does to women, the denigration of mm -hmm. it. So it really depends on the tone. So if you're taking a tone of, like the one that we just heard in the skit, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, and I could see why it coming from a man. But if you're speaking at it from what it does, and you're pulling the empathy, that actually could be a very powerful conversation. And she was factual. I mean, the things she was saying, I agree with what she was saying. It's just in my my experience, the young men, it's just uh, it's very hard for him them to hear this from a lady, and it's just very emasculating. But it is something that absolutely needs to be talked about, and it's a huge deal. And I just saw some research that young men that are getting addicted to this, and women too, there's a huge spurt of ladies that are being addicted to pornography. But they said for someone that's addicted to pornography, it takes the brain more than a year to rewire, by being porn-free, mm -hmm. yeah. to rewire the brain just to get it back to normal. A year hmm. to get your brain back to normal. That's how much it rewires the brain, creates these new neural pathways. Your brain, your brain loves habit, <laughs> and it starts off as this like little dirt road, and then becomes a, a one-lane road, and then a two-lane road, and then a six-lane highway, and then a superhighway, and then it's you've got these things going on in your brain, and it just, it just takes over, and it's devastating what it's doing to young people's brains. And then what we have also is everyone thinks that these ads for Cialis and Viagra are for the old guys, and that's actually not true. It's, mm. it's young men in their 20s that are having erectile dysfunction. And why are they having erectile dysfunction? Because they're looking at porn and they're addicted mm -hmm. to porn. And they think, well, you know what? I'll just do pornography. I'll just do porn until I get married and then I'll stop. And let me tell you, that is destroying marriages because that's they, they get into these marriages and they, they cannot get erect. They can't get an erection. It is ruining marriages and it's devastating. And it's something we have to talk about a lot, a lot more. The research is pretty strong on all this. <clears throat> so for parents, when is a good age to start talking to their kids about pornography? Early on, I mean, I've been talking to my kids. I mean, I just got my daughter a, a phone, and, and we I had a two-page contract, and I went over with it, and I spent a whole lot of time with her. And she's the last one in her class to get a phone. <laughs> I used to draw the line at 16 and say they're not getting a phone until they're 16, mm -hmm. and I, I have watered it down, and I've gone down to 14. And the reason I did that was because she's becoming a social outcast. She's not getting messages. She can't do Instagram, and friends would invite people to parties, and she wouldn't get invited, so she's being ostracized. So... I went to 14, but I had to have a lot of conversations, and I'm still having conversations with her about what the rules are and what the, the boundaries are and, um, and the contract. Mom and Dad get to look at the phone. We get to look at all your stuff and all the apps and all the stuff and just lots and lots and lots of conversations. And lots so. of security. Um, yeah. Parental you know, controls. I, 
it's devastating, but I know in the clinic, lots of cases of pornography addiction at age 11. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just yes. underage. Um, well, and we're and, giving the kids the phones. And they got access to it because of the parent. Yes. Um, the parent gave them the phone. And it has well, internet on it. Yeah. Or yeah. the parent's the one involved in pornography and it's open. Right so, there on their, right on, their, there. on their laptop or at their yeah. desktop. That's and exactly right. kids are right. pretty savvy. And so, you know, yeah. So yeah. take the phone away. Is that what you're saying? I'm. I, <laughs> well, you know, it's hard. Well, it's, it's like, it's, oh my It's rough. But but you know what I think? Why does a 10 year old need a phone? Why does a 12 year old really need a phone? And you know, I used to say, why does a 14 year old need a phone? So I I am watering down my own standards. I've gone down from 16 to 14 because all of my older kids they were the last ones in their class to get a phone. And I didn't I didn't do it until they could drive because I need to reach you when you're driving. That was my well, rationale. You know what? It's interesting. Let's think about it. When you think of addiction like a substance abuse, mm-hmm. you say don't go to the bar because you're going to go to get drunk. So don't put yourself in a circumstance that's going to be very tempting. And if you're right. thinking about pornography in that sense as being such an addictive substance are you going to allow that in your home are you going to put the beer in your house and make it really tempting for the kids to have it so it's kind of interesting to yeah it is i have a resource here fightthenewdrug.org has this great resource it's the guideline for parents uh, addressing the pornography uh, with children and this uh, i think is a, it's a great tip for parents be an example sometimes we talk and, and we want to teach them <laughs> yeah. but what are we doing right right it has a couple of questions i found this interesting do i watch movies with porn graphic language or imagery do i listen to sexually explicit music etc etc so how can we be an example before we're modeling right to our kids how can we be a good example when it comes to this uh, specific topic and we have to be a we have to be a better example because we can't tell our kids not to do it when we're doing it and like you say, they're finding it on mom and dad's laptop. Are you or watching their it on TV and they're yeah. going to get up too early and they're going to see, I mean, yeah, it's absolutely. in your house. You're, yeah. It's kind of like the guns, right? If they're with any easy access, they're going to, that's why you see the shootings with children. So yeah, it's, it's something to, to really consider. What are you doing? What are you living? And you're exposing to your kids, you're bringing it into your home. And you're letting things through electronically over your head that you can't even see that you would never allow through the front door of your house. Mm-hmm. And that fight the new drug is an outstanding resource. Mm-hmm. There's apps that they can download. Young men and young women can track their porn and their the, their activities. And it's a really good thing to, to try to get progress and to build, to get better and better. And I work with a lot of young men that struggle with this. And trying to go to, okay, let's go from, since we can't go 24 hours without it, let's try to go for two days. And then let's go from two days to four days and to a week and try to build that out and, and, and move towards progress, not perfection, but progress and get them moving in the right direction. But it's not easy. This is a, it's a very difficult, very difficult issue. Tough for parents. Yes. Well, continuing with this uh, digital era that we live in that it just exposes uh, the young people to so many dangers when it comes to pornography, obviously one of the branches to pornography is sexting. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very popular amongst young people. Technology and social media platforms have made it easy to send inappropriate pictures and messages, but what happens when, for whatever reason, an intimate photo starts circulating via phones or the internet? We've seen many cases in, tragically, sadly. How do we help kids avoid these emotional and mental consequences? Well, one of the things I told my my kids was I, I read about some Russian mobs that were getting girls. They were posing as like 16-year-old guys, and they would try to get them to give them a picture. And then when the girl would finally relent because she thought she was talking to someone her age that, mm-hmm. you know, ooh, this is so exciting. This guy really likes me. He's like a 50-year-old man in Russia. But she thought <laughs> he was a 16-year-old, and she texted photos of herself, and then he turns around and blackmails her and says, if you don't give me so much money, mm-hmm. I'm going 
to show your parents a picture you just sent. Wow. So I try to tell my kids, look, nothing on the internet and nothing on social media is private. Everything is public. I don't care how much you think it, oh, it just goes away. It's Instagram, it went away. No, it's all, it's all to be seen. And someone gets a hold of that and then, you know, you don't want that to happen to you. So I've tried to show them some of these examples of these terrible things that have happened to kids and it's, it's not private. Nothing on there is private. They think it's private, but it really isn't. That's correct. Now, the pornography industry generates about $13 billion a year. It's obviously addicting, just like a drug, like you were mentioning, Dr. Laos. And it escalates now. People keep wanting more and more and then much more. How does porn affect mentally a person and also a relationship? You were talking about marriages that are being destroyed because of pornography. Yeah, I can say that uh, after doing this work for almost 30 years, the first the first 10 or 15 years of this, I would get men, the biggest complaint from from so many men would be, you know, my wife will not have sex with me. And the guys were just so aggravated. And that was just a huge issue. How do I get my wife to have sex with me? But now, today, it's completely flipped. I very rarely hear that now working with with couples. What I hear now is the women that are complaining Mm -hmm. that the men will not have sex with them. Yeah. And it's because of pornography. And it's because of addiction to pornography and not being able to have sex because they can't get an erection because they're addicted to porn. And, And then once they get addicted to that, it gets worse because I got to go to this porn doesn't work anymore. Now I got to go to this and then I got to this darker porn and then this stuff. And then it gets really, really bad. I have a friend that was a youth pastor, a friend of mine that I just love dearly. This has been a friend of mine for 20 years and he's in prison now serving eight years for child pornography. But he didn't start off looking mm. at child porn. He started off looking at, you know, in, you know, not so, so, you know, and then he just got in deeper and deeper and deeper and he's, he's serving prison right now. Can I just add, and this might be a sticky question, what is the relationship or the connection between porn and not being able to or have some kind of dysfunctional erection? I just don't understand how that... Because it rewires your brain and you get you get aroused by looking at what's the, the visual. And then when you get an actual live human being, I cannot tell you how many times this happened. These guys get addicted to porn and then they go on their honeymoon and they can't get an erection. And then they'll say, well, let me go look because at porn. Because that fantasy is not right. that their, their brain partner. is Their brain okay. is wired to the, to the pixels. The, the, fa- to the, the fantasy to the visual. there. Okay. That's what their brain is coded into. There's a super highway in their and brain. Porn and porn is not reality. Right? No, of course it's not so reality. Then, and so then it, it's not replicated in real life. Let me, so, let me give yeah. you a fascinating research that was done on this. This is so cool. They did research uh, on butterflies, and this is crazy, but this will help answer that point. They wanted to find out if the color of the butterfly had anything to do with the mating rituals of these butterflies. So what they did was they painted these cardboard butterflies, these super fluorescent, beautiful, bright colors. And so what happened was all the male butterflies started flying over to the fake cardboard butterflies and trying to mate with them. And all the real butterfly girls are over here going, what am mm-hmm. I, chopped liver over here? The male butterflies come completely ignored the real butterflies because they were so visually attuned, stimulated stimulated by the fake cardboard that they could not have sex with, but that's all the male butterflies Mm -hmm. cared about. They ignored them and that's what's happening. Mm. So they get into that because of the visual and then they go over here with a live, naked, my wife that I just married and they, they can't have sex. So then they look at porn and then they get aroused and then their wife is over there going, wait a minute, I'm not attractive to you. Mm-hmm. I, that's and that causes that, the friction. Oh, yeah. oh. Gotcha. She, now she's devastated. She is emotionally wiped out. That wait a minute, your phone, mm-hmm. but not me. Uh, it's 
horrible. And that was going to be my next question for Dr. Laos. Women that have had this issue with their husbands or their partners, what happens to them? Because now they're being compared to these porn stars and they can't keep up with that or they it's that's not real. So what happens to them? Anger, frustration, you know, the whole grieving process of what you wish and you desire. And then, oh, a sense of shame. Like I'm just being an object. It's devastating. Devastating, yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, that was interesting. So, uh, <laughs> it's a really light topic that you guys have picked to talk about today. No, appreciate, uh, we appreciate the uh, insight, the, the, the insightful, how insightful you've been so far. And so um, just in case anybody asks us, right, in the future. Mm-hmm. So now it's uh, time for our final talk, the drug talk. Let's join Mara one more time as she uh, talks about this important topic with both her children in drugs. Oh, boy. Here's Mara again. <laughs> oh, poor Mara. <laughs> Maybe she'll get it right on the third know, one. Right? The third time might be the charm here. <laughs> There's a charm. Mom, where are we? Yeah, we've never been to this part of town before. What is this building? Well, we're going to see Uncle Joshua. He's out of the hospital? Yes, he is, but he's been moved here. It looks like a dentist's office. Oh, yeah, what is this place? Kids, Uncle Joshua wasn't in the hospital just because of that car accident. He also had a very strong addiction to heroin. I assume you've heard of that. Yeah, of course, in like movies and stuff. (sighs) Yeah, Joshua and I used to watch movies like that. Look, he's my brother and he's your uncle and I've seen how this stuff really ate him up and I can't. I won't let that same thing happen to you. Welcome. How may I help you? We're here to see Joshua. Sure thing. I'll take you back to see him. It's our policy that we ask you to refrain from anything too confrontational. He's still in a bit of a tough state. Don't worry. This is family. Joshua, your family is here to see you. Oh, jeez, Mora. This is gonna be... It's okay, Joshua. It's not okay. You know, that's what makes it so hard. <gasps> hey, Rocket Man. Hi, Space Cadet. Hi, uh, mis- Mission Control. Hey, Mission Control. Yeah, uh, I-, I don't know if you can call me that right now. Uh, look, I, uh... I'm here... Because I'm really in trouble. You know, uh, I, I got addicted to something really stupid. Yeah, we we heard about that. Why did you do something so stupid? Didn't you hear your whole life drugs are bad? Yeah, well, uh, addiction runs in a family. Which is why your mom wanted you here to talk to me. I, I mean, I, I don't want to blame genetics, though. I, I just want to warn you that one time things aren't always one time. My addiction started as a one-time thing and it consumed my whole life. You know, like when you have an annoying song stuck in your head and it's that times a million. Now, well, um, I'm here. Oh, jeez. Thank you for talking to them, Joshua. That took a lot of strength. I love you. Rocket Man to Mission Control. It's going to be okay, Mission Control. Over and out.
Well, so uh, it seems like Mara really has a way of teaching her kids about these uh, tough topics, uh, but this time she took it really close to home. Her brother Joshua was addicted to heroin, and she decided to use it as a teaching opportunity. Is this healthy to practice to do these kind of things with your family when you want to get a message across? Yeah, I mean, I think they're doing the best they can with a in a in a tough a tough situation. You know, my approach to this, I think I, I've seen some research that just kind of turns upside down the way we are dealing with addiction and the opioid crisis and the drug crisis. And it's it's fascinating because what they found was, um, you know, you you put rats in a experiment and you give them water and cocaine and what the rats or opioids heroin. And they would go in and they would start eating the cocaine and they would stay away from the water and the food. They eventually would just overdose and die. And that you repeat that study. They've done it over the decades. They keep doing it. Same thing happens. But another researcher went in there and said, let's try something different. Let's put the rat in Rat Park. And let's put all kinds of colored balls in there to, for them to play with and tubes and lots of other rats and community and where they can have lots of sex and, and build this rat park. And what they and they put the water in there and then they put either heroin or cocaine and, or other drugs in there, no matter what the drugs were. And none of the rats got addicted to cocaine and none of them died. And what they found was we're treating addictions the wrong way. We need to create more rat parks mm. where there's an opportunity for people to bond and connect the, the, the solution isn't to get people off drugs. The solution is to teach people how to bond and connect and have stronger relationships because the stronger your relationships are and the more you have people around you that care about you and love you and that you have rat park that you live in, the less likely you are to use drugs. So they took that research and then they went to the Vietnam War and they, they were freaked out. The military was freaked out because 20% of our soldiers in Vietnam were, were addicted to heroin and they thought they were going to have hundreds of thousands of people coming back to America high on addicted to heroin. But when they get back, 97% of them did not continue the heroin addiction. Why? Because they came home. They came home to Rat Park with grandma and family, and they had connection and neighborhood and people they grew up with and high school and middle school friends, and they stopped, they stopped using the drugs. You know, when you go and you go and get a hip replacement surgery and you use diamorphine, diamorphine is heroin. It's the strongest, it's much stronger than yeah. what you're going to get on the street for heroin. But why isn't grandma getting addicted to this? Well, sometimes she is, but most, she's not because she goes back to, you know, we don't have a lot, a lot of grandmothers addicted to heroin because they come back to a family. They come back to someone, people that love them. And so I think we're treating addiction completely wrong. We need to focus on the bonding and the connection. We need to build more rat parks. And if we can do that, I think that's the best thing we can do to alleviate the drug crisis that we're in. Wow, but we still see a lot of these teens, just thinking about the parents that we were talking to, uh, some teens do have a family there, do have people that care for them. They have a community. They have a church community. They're still getting addicted. What's the problem then, doctor? It's a multifaceted, complicated <laughs> issue, but yeah. I would I would continue to really drive home the point that Richard says that if we have that safe home that there's a one adult attachment that that is a sure thing and continuously the research supports it back and forth but kids today yeah they do think that they're invisible this is not going to happen to me it'll happen to so and so but i'm immune to it it's not that bad you minimize what we've talked about the age of ambiguity not making decisions sliding into them okay you know just following the status quo instead of really being marked I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And also in some of the communities, there's the, the culture of hopelessness and despair, mm -hmm. you know, just very oppressive that this is the only way out. This is the only next thing um, allows for that. I think there's just a lot of different conditions that, that perpetuate 
the reality that we're now living in this state. Agreed. But the worst thing we can do is put them in prison where they're by themselves, isolated, alone. It's not even close to Rat Park. <laughs> that yeah. makes it worse. And that's how we treat addictions. We lock them up. We make them feel bad that there's something, you know, you're bad. Mm-hmm. And, and it, that doesn't help at all. That makes it worse. Going back to the some of the of the children that we're working with in communities where they feel there's no other way, would you say providing those opportunities, then we have a big responsibility as a community to be able to help parents bring those opportunities to these kids, kids that don't have access to something bigger or better? It comes down to strong families. Uh, yes, we all know the one case of the one kid of the family that had it all good and still ended mm-hmm. up doing the addiction. Right? But overwhelmingly, when you don't have a secure base, when you long to be loved, where things are awful, where I don't have a parent or an adult person in my life that I can go to and trust, and it's going to get hard in life, adolescence creeps in, the hormones are out of place, chaos ensues, and you don't have anybody to walk through and talk through and process all of that. And someone just offers something and an opportunity for you to escape from the horribleness that you live in. You don't have anything, any pillar to hold on to, to look back on. And in a lot of families where on top of it, the, you, you don't you have the, the economic situation is difficult, hardship is difficult, and you've got one relationship broken after another relationship where you've got kids moving every year or every week to a new boyfriend's house, and the situation is pretty cyclical. You can't afford to make any mistakes. They make one mistake, they steal one time, they end up in jail, and there's no fallback. Mm-hmm. In families where the SES there's a little bit more cushion, maybe financially, you know, it's the, where we're in Chicago, it's the neighborville suburb, you know, the, the situation might be, there's more cushion in there. If they do end up going into that circumstance and sliding and messing up, there might be more protective boundaries that if they do fall there, they can quickly get, get up. They mm-hmm. have more opportunities. Someone will step in. There's a lawyer. Here's a rehab center. Here's a counselor. And here's a family network. And, and perhaps they messed up once or even twice, thrice, they move forward. But in some of the communities that we're working with, it just takes one they can't afford to make any mistakes mm. because there's no fallback. They end up in jail right away. That's so unfortunate. Yeah. Richard, earlier during this podcast, you mentioned to us how you go about uh, speaking to your kids about sex and whatever curiosity they may, they may have. Now, when it comes to this uh, topic regarding drugs, you know, nowadays uh, drugs are so accessible anywhere at any time. How do we prepare our kids? to make wise choices when it comes to these uh, pressures, peer pressure, or these uh, tempting invitations, uh, whether it be forced or via a friend or something. Right, well, talking to the kids, keeping the communication lines open, having that open dialogue all the time. But you know, to me, it goes back to, I wanna do everything I can to build Rat Park for my kids, that they know that they are safe, that they are loved, that they're secure, that even when they make mistakes and they do stupid things and they, you know, they try things that they shouldn't try, even though they know that's the, fam- you know, as a family, we don't, we don't believe in that, that they know they have a home that they come back to, that they are loved, 
loved and cared for and they're secure in that love, that's the best thing I can do as a parent. But the, like you said, it's not that's not 100% guarantee, but I think that's the best protective factor that we can do as parents is to provide that safety where they feel loved and cared for and that unconditional love and to make it look as much like Rat Park as I can <laughs> of course. for my kids. Wow, well, we talked about three different topics, but they're very interconnected. Uh, here's a quick fact. 79% of porn performers have used marijuana and 50% have used ecstasy. So parents, the talk is urgent. Action. Yeah, and I would say let's not just have one talk. Yeah. <laughs> we need conversations early yes. on. I also see these are very negative, right? Porn, you know, that we painted a just awful mm -hmm. picture of all these terrible things. And I think one way we can inoculate our children is painting a beautiful of what is good. Yes. What what is healthy? What is amazing about marriage? What is great about sex? What is great about having a relationship that you long for, that you're happy, well being. Mm -hmm and provide a pathway for that mm -hmm. you know happiness for them to thrive in that let's focus on the good as well Absolutely. so that that's something that you long for and you know the pathway for that mm -hmm. um instead of just saying you know no no don't, no, no, don't, no. Don't. you know you know <laughs> I, it's my little kids if i say to them don't touch that what are you gonna do touch they're gonna it. go touch it you know as we're talking to them about these things uh, yeah let's talk about the good things <laughs> Well, yeah, and, I, and talk to them about how married people have the most sex, the most frequent sex, intimate, passionate, varied. Uh, you'd never know that from watching the TV, but to paint that beautiful picture of what it could be and should be, you're right. Pointing to the positive, not just be Dr. No about everything. About the life, yeah. 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 That's great. Well, we're going to end it on a positive note. Then. Please, let's do so. <laughs> <laughs> Any closing comments you'd like to add, Richard? No, I just uh, love being with you guys and having an honest and frank discussion about some things that, that really need to be talked about a lot more. And I hope this is a benefit to the people listening that it'll make a difference in one life. And that's, that's priceless. Thanks for having me. Thank you both for helping us uh, unpack the unmentionables. Uh, also, we want to ask you where we could find you, follow you on social media, or if you do have a direct website. Yeah, our, our website is livethelife.org. Very well, well. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Struggle is Real and this special series, Relationship Talk. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and download The Struggle is Real app and stay on top of all relevant topics. And please be on standby for our next episode, Identifying Abuse, The Warning Signs, where we'll be talking about abusive relationships with special guest Robin Sindizal. Supporting resources are also available on our Family Bridges app. Plus, get blogs, tips, and more on social media with the hashtag TheStruggleIsReal and hashtag TSIR. Thanks for listening. The Struggle is Real, all the way from Denver, Colorado. I am Omar Ramos. And I'm Veronica Avila. Till, Till next, next time. This was The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. For more ideas on parenting, get your copy of The Struggle is Real by Drs. Paul Meyer and Alicia Laos on FamilyBridgesUSA.com.